Amen. We're finishing up a series called The Power of One. And today we'll be talking about the gift of love, the power of one gift of love that Jesus gave. And uh, with, uh, you know, I was studying all day yesterday and I had this moment where I took a break and uh, turned on the TV for a second. And I guess the Cowboys played again last night as well. So that brought me to my opening story that I want to tell today about Boudreaux and Thibodeau. See, years ago, when Boudreaux was just a freshman in college, he, uh, he was straight off the farm, and he was a stud. He was healthy, strong, and he figured he'd try out for the team, or the, or the football team over for the Raging Cajuns. And so he went out, and he talked to the coach. He said, Coach, I want to try out for the team. The coach said, well, can you tackle? He said, watch this. He took off running, and he hit a telephone pole, knocked that telephone down, splintered it in all kinds of pieces. The coach was like, wow, that's amazing. He said, well, can you run fast? He said, watch this, coach. He lined up, man, and he took off running, and he outran everybody on the whole team, even the wide receivers. Coach is like, that's unbelievable. He said, well, can you pass a football? Boudreaux rolled his eyes, thought a bit for just a second. He said, coach, if I can swallow it, I bet I can pass it. Come on, somebody. Some of y'all, that'll take a second, but uh, those of us that are a little older, that's stuff we sit around talking about at this stage in our life. As we, uh, as we jump into the Word today, we're going to be looking at a passage out of the book of John, chapter 8. In the book of John, chapter 8, uh, starting in those early verses, we see this interaction that Jesus has uh, in the temple... Uh, that he has this interaction with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and this conflict that they bring to him with a woman caught in adultery and they want to stone her and the conflict that he has. And instead of reading the verses today, thank God for the History Channel and they did this uh, video uh, rendition of it. So I thought, let's take the next three minutes and uh, it's actually straight out of Scripture and let's just watch to give you a little bit of a mental picture the video rendition of John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Go ahead and play that. Of olives. Early the next morning, he went back to the temple. All the people gathered round him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman who had been caught committing adultery, and they made her stand before them all. Teacher! This woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. In our law, Moses commanded that such a woman must be stoned to death. Now, what do you say? They said this to trap Jesus so that they could accuse him. But he bent over and wrote on the ground with his finger. As they stood there asking him questions, he straightened up. Whichever one of you has committed no sin may throw the first stone at her. Then he bent over again and wrote on the ground. When they heard this, they all left, one by one, the older ones first. 
Jesus was left alone with the woman still standing there. He straightened up. Where are they? Is there no one left to condemn you? No one, sir. Well then, I do not condemn you either. Come on, somebody. That's my Jesus right there. That's the man I love right there. I love that passage. Go, because I don't condemn you and don't sin anymore. Let's kind of break that, this passage down a little bit and some, kind of you know, identify some of the key pieces in it. It starts off by saying that all the people came to Jesus there in the temple. It uses this word all. What is transpiring is in this moment, there have been, there've been festivals. They've been, uh, people have come from out of town to this area and, uh, and, and are having all these festivals. And what Jesus has done is Jesus has been out amongst them. He's been healing them. He's been teaching them. He's been in the temple teaching. And this is kind of one of their last days of the festival before they all take off to head back home. And so Jesus meets up there early in the morning and the crowds come packing in. And, and so, so I don't think the video did quite justice to that. But can you imagine all the people coming in and Jesus begins to teach them. And as he begins to teach them, all of a sudden the back door flies open. Imagine if somebody threw open the back door right now and yelling and screaming brings it. I'm not going to do that. I saw some of you looking like you. We know Adam will do that. I won't do that to you. But uh, and, and, and they wait a minute, Rabbi. And they call him teacher. Just days earlier, they called him liar. And today, they're calling him teacher, which I think is interesting because they're trying to build a manipulative case against him. And they bring this woman up, and they throw him at her feet, and they begin to accuse her and, and bring witness against her for adultery. And the reason why they're doing that in that moment is because Jesus has all the people there because Jesus is a friend of sinners and he's been out ministering to them, loving on them and just in direct opposition because these guys, the, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees and, and the scribes, they're all so angry at him. They're so mad at him because he is doing the opposite of what they're doing because what they have done has drawn a line and said, this is righteous. You're wicked until you cross over the line into righteousness with us. We will have no relationship with you because you are not good enough until you repent and come across the line. And what God does in the form of Jesus Christ, he steps over that line and says, I will come and I will love on you and I will bring you to this place because I am the bridge between what is right and wrong. I am the place to where you can get to the Father. You come through me. And this infuriated them. It infuriated the teachers of the law. It infuriated them that he would love like this, that he would get his hands down in the dirt with them and love on them like. And the crowds are proof that it's real. The crowds are proof that this is authenticity. And Jesus is ministering to them, so they got to trip him up. They got to get the attention off of the truth. And so what do they do? They catch a woman in adultery. And they bring her and they throw her at his feet. And we'll look at that little statement. It says, they caught a woman in adultery. A woman caught in the act of adultery. Caught in the act of adultery. So not to be too you know, visual, but she's in the act of adultery. 
My question is, if she's in the act of adultery, where's the dude who's in the act of adultery with her? Where's that guy at? So what are we doing? See, what they were doing, see, their cause wasn't righteous. This woman is a sinner, but their cause is not righteous. Their cause is to use this as some type of manipulation to be able to catch Jesus up, to try to get him to stumble, to either have him reject the law of Moses or have him, come on somebody, or have him be the person that doesn't really love the people like he says he does. And so they're trying to make a dividing line. And Jesus has this woman thrown at his feet because she is a woman caught in adultery. And this is not because they love her and want to restore her. They begin to try to manipulate the situation because they're trying to get to Jesus. And I think about this as you look into this passage. This woman is caught. She is an adulterer. She is in sin. She has walked away from her husband. She's got out on Facebook and hooked up with her ex-boyfriend from back in the day in high school. And they've met up at a hotel. Come on. She's got, snuck out in the night or whatever while her husband was off on a business trip. And she's hooking up with this dude. Her kids don't know about it. She's doing this in private. She's got this thing. And she's probably gotten away with it multiple times. Time and time and time again. So therefore, she probably justifies it because her, her husband's not a good guy anyway. He's not faithful enough anyway. He doesn't provide for her proper, all her needs anyway, so God must be okay with this because I haven't gotten caught. But in the act of adultery, she gets busted. Friend, I have been with those who have gotten busted. And I'm telling you, it is a shameful, horrific, embarrassing moment. And they take this woman, and they don't, they don't deal with her privately they don't, they don't show her love and concern, yet strong rebuke and, and, and give her direction. No, no, no. They take her in front of everyone she knows. Because you've got to understand the temple was center not only of religious activity but of social life and, and, and Jewish culture. And they take her and they pull her. Now, listen, you've got to understand, she ain't got her clothes all back on. I appreciate, you know, us being PG version on, on the History Channel. But they grabbed this girl in the act of adultery. They're after to shame her and to embarrass Jesus. They haven't waited for her to get all her clothes on. Come on, somebody. They grabbed her. They brought her in front of everyone. She's trying to cover herself as her neighbor is standing right there. And the lady that babysits her kids when her and her husband have date night is right there. Come on now. And the girl at Walmart that she always talks to. And the friend at the favorite restaurant that she tips and, and, and interacts with them. And, all, and their pastor at her church. And all those people are standing there as she is brought in and exposed. She has been found out. She has been humiliated. Frank, can I tell you something like this? Better our sin convict us publicly than condemn us for eternity. I'm sad for this lady that she was exposed like that. But let me explain something to you and me right now. Sin will destroy us. And she's gotten away with it probably time and time again, potentially. I mean, we don't know exactly what transpired here, but she is busted, and she's humiliated, and they're enjoying every moment of it. And they got Jesus by the throat, they think. And what does Jesus do? He sits down, and he starts writing in the dirt. Some people believe he was writing the names of the men standing around that were also adulterers, or the sins that they had committed. Oh, Jim... Stole on his taxes. Susan is a liar and a manipulator. 
and his right. Some people believe that. I believe he was just doodling. And the reason why I believe he's just doodling, because Jesus is too smart to be brought in to an environment of conflict and frustration and agitation and, and have these people yelling back and forth. So what does he do? He calms the situation. And just let cooler heads prevail. And he sits down. They're standing there, guys. They're standing there with rocks. And they are ready to crack a skull open. They are ready to bust this lady's face open. I don't know if you've ever seen like some of the video footage that comes out of some of these other countries when they have mob justice and they begin to just take a person and they all begin to hit them. But this is what they would do in Bible times. Now, up until this point, uh, they hadn't really done much of this, but they're standing there with these rocks ready to crack her head open. And I don't know if you've ever been hit in the head with a rock, but how many does it take to actually kill you? I remember being a kid and playing around the, uh, the railroad tracks with all my buddies. And, uh, you know, those railroad tracks had, those, that had that gravel, that rock. And sometimes they're pretty big. And one of my friends got the bright idea while I had my head turned to throw and hit me with one. Hit me in the back of the head. And when I tell you, it brought blood. It brought my, my eyes began to, you know, have spots. You know, I kind of started to feel like I was going to black out. Wasn't a big rock, just big, big enough hit me in the right spot. Can you imagine as they begin to crack your head open? Because can, what if we brought you forward and the sin that you committed this week, we not only exposed you for but then we stripped you down and we hit you with rocks until you were dead. This is what they're proposing. And they justify it by, telling the, by saying that Moses commanded us to do this. That is a truth, but it's a half-truth. It's not a complete truth. What you've got to understand is in the book of Deuteronomy and the book of Levit- Leviticus, where this is laid out, those that are in adultery, this is to happen. Those who have sex and rape a virgin, this is to happen. As they're laying that out, you've got to put it in context. And so if I could take that and put it in context for a little bit, year, thousands, hundreds of years earlier, the Israelites had been disobedient to the Lord. And as a result, the Egyptians had conquered them and captured them. And for 400 years, the Israelites were slaves to the Egyptians. And over that 400-year period, some things transpired. The most important of which, they lost their relationship with the living God. They lost their covenant relationship with him. They no longer served him. They no longer uh, kept to his ways. And what happened was, year after year, as their children were brought up in their public school system there in Egypt, they began to worship the idols of Egypt. They became pagan, Satan worshipers, if you will, just like the Egyptians. So as they were brought out of captivity, miraculously, Miraculously by Moses, and the supernatural thing happened. Moses has to hear from God, how do we clean this whole nation up, which are nothing more than a bunch of Satan worshiping pagans? What do we do? And so God said, well, here's what is right, and gave him the law. And then they began to expand these teachings on, how, well, what does that mean? How do we do right? Because we don't know. We're so pagan. We don't even, so is sex with animals bad? We don't understand why. And so what they do is they go through, and Moses writes out here in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, they write up, this is wrong. If you do this for the sake of the community, we're going to remove you by way of death. Because the community is trying to be reestablished. We're trying to reestablish this nation, take them from Satan worshiping pagans to become like God again. And so he lays out these things. But that had transpired hundreds of years earlier. And by now, in Jesus' time, and when this has happened, they haven't stoned anybody for adultery. And the reason why is because half the priests would have had to be, be stoned. The reason why is because the community with the Romans overseeing them, everybody had become perverted. And so they just did, they weren't even, so they took something that had been done way back in the day and said, he commanded us to. And not only that, but here you are being their friends and loving on them. Because the Bible says that Jesus was a friend to sinners. He was a friend with sinners. He loved people. 
He loved us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. Aren't you glad? Jesus didn't wait for us to somehow cross the religious line and to being a good person and trying to do it in our own strength. That he actually came back and he got us and pulled us over and loved on. Aren't you glad that he loved you while you were yet wicked and undone and he didn't wait for you to be a good person? You ought to give him a hand for that right there. I'll tell you that now. Supernatural. And so they say he told us to do this and Jesus doesn't even answer. He just keeps writing. He doesn't even, they keep pushing it. He just keeps writing. And finally, they push him so far that he stands up and he says, okay. He says, I'll tell you what. Those of you that are without sin, cast the first stone. What he's saying in that, he's not creating a new command. He's actually saying, well, let's put the whole thing in perspective. Because Moses also taught that whoever was going to stone or bring about that execution of that judgment, they had they had to, number one, be eyewitnesses of what had transpired. They had to be eyewitnesses because they had to be the first ones. You killed my mom. You did it in a rage. I saw it. Now I'm going to be the first one to testify as a true witness that you did that. But I'm going to be the first one to hit you in the head and start your death process. You raped that woman. I'm going to be the first one. I saw it. I was there. I'm an eyewitness. And so I, I say to, in front of everyone, I am telling the truth. And so what Jesus is saying is like, okay. You said she was caught in adultery. Who was the ones who saw it? Which one is it? Because Moses also then spoke a law that if you, if, you, if you exacted judgment on someone as a false witness and then you were found out, whatever judgment was brought on those will now be your judgment. So you, you were the first one to throw a stone saying it was true only to find out that you've been lying. Now we're going to take you and we're going to stone you. So Jesus is saying, okay, guys, that's great. So you're so pure and righteous. So whichever one of you, remember what Moses taught. You're the eyewitness. You start off throwing it first. Not only that, but let me put this in perspective. If you're so righteous and you have no sin in your life, then go ahead and feel justified in doing it. The only person standing there that was sinless, that could bring that condemnation, was Jesus Christ himself. He's the only one that could exact that judgment. And he doesn't. He just bends down and he keeps writing. And can you picture this? Those, the Bible says that, that the oldest from the youngest, they start dropping their rocks and walking out. I think because when you get a little older, you realize, wait a minute, I'm stupid. Let's go. <laughs> and in that moment, in that moment, all of the crowds of people, I picture there were probably hundreds. They may have been upwards to almost even a thousand or two in that little small building called a temple or a synagogue in that area. And all of a sudden, Jesus is still riding in the dirt. He's just kind of doodling. He's drawing trees in heaven. I don't know what he's writing, but it's fun. And then all of a sudden, he looks up. Can you imagine how quiet it gets as they're no longer there? And he looks at her. He rises up, takes her by the hand. He says, sweet love. Where are all of those who are condemning you? She said, they're not here anymore. They've all left. So there's no one then to condemn you. She says, no, sir. He says, then neither do I. But then he says this statement. He says, go. In other words, be free from the trap of sin. Go on. Be free. But don't go back to a life of sin. Here's the problem I have with grace is most people use it as an opportunity to go right back into the same sin they came out of. He just exacted grace on her. His power was unbelievable. Phenomenal. And when you and I read that story, we all put ourselves into the position of the woman who was, who was being mistreated. 
But friend, can I explain something to you? If you put yourself in that role, remember, she may have been being mistreated, but she was sinning. She was an adulterer. She had cheated on her husband. She had humiliated her family. She had found some kind of way to justify her sin. But nevertheless, she was still in sin. And although it be be shameful the way they tried to embarrass her and humiliate her, it still was sin. And it's going to be judged at some point in her life. As we look at this, I want you to take away three things today. Write these down. Three takeaways from this storyline and this moment in history as Jesus Christ is interacting with this woman and this group of men and these folks who are trying to embarrass her. Number one, the first takeaway is this. Purging the nation of sin starts within. Because if you take the role, if you put yourself in the role of these righteous leaders, what they were trying to say was unrighteousness is coming into our nation. We've got all these people who who are horrible and wicked and we need to rise up and we need to physically do something about this GLBT community. we got to do something about these who do this racist And oh, the anger inside of them. The anger. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't fall for that trap. Just the opposite. He says, how about you start with you first? See, the way... We fix the United States. The way we fix our city, the way you fix your school is you start with you. Say, Lord, I've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Lord, what's in me that's causing others to hurt? What what am I doing that's not like you, Jesus? See, this is where the rabbi and and the and the Pharisees missed it. They were so quick to try to say, We're right and y'all are wrong, that in their rightness they became wrong. And in their rightness, they weren't right anymore. And they were just as sinful. So when Jesus speaks the word to them, guess what the Bible says in Hebrews that the word of God does? It divides. It goes right down in between the soul and the spirit. And it says it awakens us to truth. So the moment he said, simply, I know you're trying to catch me. I know you think you've got something here. Hey, but buddy, you're supposed to be a righteous leader and you have sin in your life. Oh, oh. Drop the rock. I mean, just that moment is unbelievable. And what I'm finding, especially in this situation that we have these days, is that everybody wants to be right and want righteous. I, the other day, this company did, did, uh, did us wrong, uh, really made a mistake. And I wasn't getting satisfaction in our customer service problem that we were having. And I found myself plotting how to destroy them on social media. Oh, I was on, it was on, bro. And I had names. Come on, somebody. And I was going to kill. They would never get another customer. Yelp would be their enemy. I mean, I was just going to murder them. And as I'm plotting and planning it, all of a sudden, I remember. Church on the Hill doesn't always do things right. I remember. I remember the one time somebody was a little harsh with us on Yelp. And one time, somebody just stood in the parking lot was mad about something that we didn't do exactly. We didn't mean to. We weren't trying to, you know, not, you know, misappropriate their child and, didn't, you know, get the diaper changed fast enough or, you know, that our latte wasn't that good this time. We, 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 didn't, we didn't mean to do that. And that same grace that I wanted them to have for me, I no longer had for this company. And I fell down on my face. I said, Lord, I'm so sorry. Lord, let me, let me start with me before I try to fix everything else. Are you there? Say yes. That's a great lesson from this. Here's another takeaway that I think we can take from this passage, and that is it's better to be exposed now than on Judgment Day. Better to be exposed now than on Judgment Day. 
Lord, David cried out like this. He said, Lord, search me. See if there be any wicked way in me. Look inside, Lord, whatever I missed. Search me. See if there be any wicked way in me. What do we do when we sin? We hide it. We don't want anybody to know about it. That's what this woman had gotten away with for years. And here, in the most tragic, horrible setting that she could be thrown into, it happens. And she's exposed publicly. She's humiliated. Oh, but friend. Oh, I would rather be exposed publicly in this life and have repentance come to my life and righteousness and humility than to be humbled on that day when he looks at me and says, you have been a liar, you've been a manipulator, you never let my son Jesus be the way, the truth, and the life to you. And so for eternity, you're a cast in eternal fire. Friend, let me tell you something better to be exposed now than on judgment day. It's better to humble ourselves now because there will be a day and every knee will bow. And every tongue will go, I don't really believe in that. Okay. Told you last week. Okay. Great. But on that day, when you're horrified and you look back at me, I'm going to look at you and go, Do you want me to show you? I got the video footage right here. <laughs> I, I mean, I tried to tell you. On that day, I tell this little story over the years. I want to tell it today about this young man whose mom and dad were very wealthy. Dad was a very prominent, prominent businessman who traveled from nation to nation making giant business deals. Mom, their only child, mom was very caught up in all the social workings and all the popularity and interacting with the paparazzis. This young man grew up in a very wealthy environment. Anything he ever wanted. Silver spoon has, has been termed in times past. And as he grew more and more as he aged, more and more he got distant from his parents. They didn't have any time for him. So more and more he act out. Get, start with getting kicked out of schools and being, having to be put in these special schools where only the rich kids went, where they understood how to deal with these spoiled brats. And he got into, he got into just messing around with girls. And then, then he came of age to get a car. And his dad didn't know how to show him love, so he bought him the most expensive car, fastest little sports car that he could get a 16-year-old. And, and, they got, and the kids started drinking and, and just getting running with the wrong crowd, but just acting out. And one day, there in those hills of California, half drunk out of his mind, racing down through those turns and those curves, he came around a turn too fast, right as he was coming to a bridge, lost control over it, and that car hit the side of that bridge and broke through those little barrier cables on the side of it and began to plummet down hundreds and hundreds of feet below to the canyon. But the back tires caught a caught on the edge of the bridge, and that car started teetering back and forth, back and forth. Young man can't believe that, he, that he's still alive. And he's sitting there, and he begins to cry out, Help! Help! But it's a lonely road. There's not hardly anybody travels this road. He begins to cry out, Help! He goes to open the door, and as he doors, the car starts sliding some more, so he leans back, and he just freezes up, and he doesn't know what to do. He begins to cry out, Oh, God, help me, oh, God. And about that time, this man, older gentleman, drives up, sees the situation, surveys it, jumps out of the car. Son, are you all right? No, sir, help me, I'm going to die. Help me, please, sir, please. Son, just crawl out of the car. No, sir, every time I move, it goes to slide forward. And the older man gets there, he surveys the situation. He says, this is what you have to do. Roll down the window. Sir, no, I can't. I can't. You can do it. Roll down the window. And I'm going to reach my hand around. I'm going to grab home to the edge of this pole right here. I'm going to reach my hand around. And when I count to three, I'm going to grab you. You hold on to me, and I'm going to jerk you out of that window to safety. No, sir, I can't do it. You can do it, son. Listen to me. Okay, okay, okay. He rolls down the window. He reaches over, grabs him, 
grabs him. The young man holds onto his arm. He says, when I count to three, you kick, you kick, shove, push, get out of that window and hold on to me. Ready? One, two, three. And as he jerks him out, the car starts sliding off the edge, falls and plummets those hundreds of feet down to the bottom in the canyon, explodes as he pulls the kid back, and he's holding him on the bridge. And the young man's just weeping, weeping. Thank you. Oh, my God. Thank you. Thank you. They gathered themselves. He said, son, are you somebody we can call to come get you? No, sir, my parents are out of country by myself at our mansion up the road. He said, son, get in the car. I'll drive you. And as they begin to drive, he starts smelling the alcohol on the young man's breath. He said, son, you've been drinking, haven't you? Yes, sir, I can't lie. I have. He said, son, you're going to kill yourself. Son, you've got to stop this. You've got to change right now. Yes, sir, I'm going to. I'm never going to drink again. And I've been doing some drugs, too. I'm never going to do it again. Son, don't ever do it again. It's going to kill you. Yes, sir, I promise. I will never do it again. He arrived at the mansion. He lets him out. Sir, I promise. Well, those good intentions kind of lost their power. A couple weeks later, he's running with the same crowd again. Before you know it, he's stealing stuff just for the fun of it. Doesn't need the money. Gets away with it. Year after year until he's about 18, almost 19 years old. By this time, he's running with, he's, he's selling big drugs just, it's just to do it. He doesn't even need the money. Just because he gets away with it. It's a high for him not to get caught, to be bad. But unbeknownst to him, he's been under investigation. And they've got a sting going on him and they catch him. They get him on video. They've got, it. They've got every, every bit of the drugs that he was trafficking. All the whole, he's, they got him. They bring him to the jail. The next day he's going to stand in front of the judge and they're going to start the proceedings. His dad buys the best lawyers. He's in his little jump, red, orange jumpsuit. They got him chained in as he walks into the courtroom. Best lawyers ever are sitting there and they are telling his dad, listen, I don't, I, we're probably not going to get him off of this. He's, he's, he's caught. I mean, we can maybe get, I mean, we should plead out. No, 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 we're going to try it. Okay. As he sits down and he looks up, and the judge comes from his, his, from his chambers and he sits down at his chair and he looks out. The young man goes crazy. He goes, that's the guy. That's the old man who saved me just, just, a, just a couple years ago. That's the guy on the bridge. He says, we got this. I'm not safe. This is going to be great. He knows me. He loves me. He had grace on me that day. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be magnificent. This is going to be, don't worry about it, guys, we got this. And for the next two days, the proceedings go forward, and all the evidence goes back and forth. And on the last day, the judge retires to his chamber. And the next morning, he comes forward, and he's going to give his deliberation. He stands in front of him. He sits in his chair, and he says, young man, stand. And he stands. He can't wait. He knows that he's going to get off of this one because this man knows him. He's made eye contact with him a couple times. Like, yeah. And he knows who he is. And all of a sudden, the judge says, listen, on all three accounts, I find you guilty. And I sentence you to 35 years. In federal prison. He's, his knees buckle. He starts yelling, what, 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 what happened? Sir, don't you remember me? Why, why did you do this? Remember you helped me that time. Why won't you help me now? That, that judge takes off his robe. Comes down up front where the young man's about to be taken away. He says, sir, don't you remember me? He said, yeah, I remember you. Don't you remember you saved my life that time? Yes, I remember, son. He said, why? Why won't you help me now? He said, son, on that day, I was your savior, but today I'm your judge. Listen to me. Listen to me, all of us. There's a day. While grace is being extended, fall on that grace. Listen to me. While Jesus is being savior, 
Let him be savior to our lives while there is still yet time. But friend, don't you understand? There is an appointment with death, each and every one of us. And in that moment, he won't be able to be the savior. In that moment, he will be the judge. And he will divide right and truth. And you'll stand there and he'll do everyone. Everyone in history will have to give an account. And he can't let them go and, and let you go because he didn't let them go. And every one of us will come under one question. Did you let Jesus be your Lord and savior? If you did, it's all forgiven. It's all under the blood. Come into me, into paradise, and spend eternity with me. Or, why did you reject him? Why did you keep playing games with him? As a result, I am sorry. You have now destined yourself. The evidence is stacked against you, and there is nothing to cover that evidence. There is nothing that washed away that, that, that sin. And as a result, for eternity, you now spend away from me in eternal darkness and damnation. Can you imagine that? This woman in this moment, horrified. Jesus looks at her, and he says, I don't condemn you. I'm not here to condemn. I'm here to save. But listen to me, sweet love. Go and sin no more. Don't go back to that. The third takeaway that you can derive from what I just told you is that we all need grace. We all need grace. Somebody ought to shout amen right there. We all need grace. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, including the preacher. Psalms 124, verse 7 through 8 says it like this. We have escaped like a bird out of the fowler's snare. The snare has been broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Frank, can I tell you something? Sin has been trying to trap you. And, and what, what this is referring to, in those days they would catch little animals to eat and things like that and they would make little traps. I don't know if any of you are hunters and you, and, and you use the trapping where the thing grabs around their foot you know, and there's a little food there and they go to get the food and the thing grabs around their foot and they can't get loose and you come and then you kill them. And this is what it's referring to is that they, they would do this with birds and stuff and that would get around their foot and they would flop around they couldn't get off but then all of a sudden according to this passage says I was caught in the snare of the fowl I was in the bird trap I was in the trap that clamped around me but then came the Savior Jesus Christ and he let me out of that trap and free am I free am I Frank can I explain to you about grace the Bible says grace teaches me to say no to sin grace is not a pass to go back into my sin and to get out of jail free card to keep going back into my sin grace is that I got set free I ain't going back to that. I ain't doing that no more. I have experienced the joy of my salvation. This is what grace is. And people have misappropriated. That's why he looked at her and said, now don't go back to it. I love you. And I don't condemn you. And I don't humiliate you like the religious leaders of the day are trying to do. And I'm not trying to use you as an example. I love you as an individual. I care about you as an individual. But listen to me. Don't go back to it. Because it will kill you. These are the three takeaways that you and I need to learn today from this passage. It's changed my life. What a beautiful passage. Let's review them real quick. Number one, purging the nation of sin starts with me. Lord, start with me. Number two, better to be exposed now than on judgment day. Let us repent now than on judgment day. Number three, we all need grace. Somebody ought to shout amen. We all need grace. Would you stand with me all across the room? Come on, quickly stand. I want to minister to you for just a couple of minutes. I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads right where you stand. We do that not because we have little elves that now come steal your possessions. Like, <laughs> scared to close my eyes around here, man. They may rob me. We do that so you can concentrate. If you're as ADDDDD as I am, 
you know, if I got my eyes open, I start thinking, man, that guy, that worship leader, he looks like he's Amish or something. Wow. <laughs> See, close your eyes. See, you're thinking it now. See, I'm mess you up. <laughs> Come on, close your eyes with me and bow your heads. Just kind of create a safe place for you and Jesus. If you're in this place tonight, this morning, excuse me, and you love the Lord, I would challenge you, let us not become pharisaical. I would challenge you to remember before we start, start trying to judge everybody else and telling everybody else how bad they are, let it start first in our heart. Judgment will come. It will happen. But Jesus is the only one sinless enough to bring judgment. And so he makes that clear to all those standing around. Those of you without sin, go ahead. Go ahead. And that word brings truth. And every one of those men and women standing around realize, wait a minute, I'm a sinner too. You're right, I, I don't have a right to say anything. My sin of lying is just as bad as adultery. I'm, my sin of manipulation, my, steal, my sin of stealing the, you know, the pens from work, that's, it's still sin. It's just sin. So, Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name that we would be a church that starts with us. Start with us, Lord. Your word says that judgment starts in the house of the Lord. Start with me, Lord. But, God, let us not be critical of the hurting and the dying out there. Let us not create a line that until they jump through these 17 hoops, they can't be loved or accepted. And Father, in that process, may they come to a right relationship with you. Father, may grace be extended through us to others, even as it was extended to us. As you've got your head bowed and your eye closed, I want to ask a question. If you're in this place today and you're not sure that if you died, you would go to heaven. In fact, you may be shamed. It may be hidden. Maybe you've not been exposed yet. Maybe your sin has not been broadcast to everyone in the community, but your sin dominates your life. Hey, I have some good news. He wants to break the trap of sin that holds you down. You came here today looking for something. You came here because you wanted God to be first in your life. You, you didn't come here because I'm a great preacher or our worship is so much better than everybody else's or we're the coolest people. You came here because you wanted God. Friend, if you're away from God, this is your moment. I want to give you the opportunity. I want to give you the opportunity to, to make it right now. Not on judgment day. It'll be too late then. I'll give you the opportunity. Let him be Savior now. Let him make it right now. Let him heal it now. Let him forgive you now. Let him throw grace upon you now. Let him release you from the trap now. If you're in this room, you say, Pastor, I used to serve God, but life just happened. I walked away from him. I feel so distant. I feel so, I, I, I'm really scared. I don't think I would go to heaven. Listen, I've got good news. If you'll let me, I'll pray with you right here and now. And that'll all turn around. You say, well, what do I have to do? Well, here's the beauty. Jesus did it all. 2,000 years ago, when he died on a cross, what that did was he created an account with your name on it, my name on it, all of humanity's name on it. We all have an account. And in that account is all the pavement for every sin you and I will ever commit or have ever committed. It's already been bought and paid for. You say, well, how do I access that account? Great question. The word says it like this. If you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. In other words, if you'll let him be the Lord of your life, if you'll let him be your dad, then you'll have access to everything that's his. All the grace, all the mercy, all the forgiveness. 
Today, I want to lead you in that. I won't call you forward. I won't humiliate you. I don't want to. I want you to have a private moment. Though it be a public environment tonight, today, I want you to have a private moment with God to make him the Lord of your life. If I'm speaking to you, say, Pastor, that's me. I'm in sin. I need to repent. I want to make God the Lord of my life. I've been running from him. Or, you know, I've never been a Christian, but I see it now. I see it for the first time. I feel God reaching out to me, and I want to respond. If that's you, if you're ready to be right with the Lord, again, no one looking around. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Would you just admit that to yourself and to Jesus by just lifting your hand right where you're at? Well, you had the courage to say, that's me, Pastor. Pray for me. I'm ready to be right. Thank you, sweet love. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you for your honesty. God bless you. Hands are going up all over. Thank you, brother. Thanks for your honesty. Give you about three or four seconds. We'll move on. Again, I'm not going to call you forward. We're going to pray right where we stand. God bless you. I see it. Amen. Thank you, sweet love. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you for being real and authentic. And Thank you, sweet love. I see it. Thank you. Some amazing people. Thank you, sir. Anybody else? You can put it back down once I see it. God bless you. Anybody else? Pastor, pray for me. I'm, t- I'm tired of living like this. I don't want to be like this anymore. God bless you. I see it. Thank you. I'm tired of being like this. I'm not doing it anymore. It's changing right here, right now. Right now. Before I'm humiliated, before I'm embarrassed, before everyone stands looking at me gawking, right now I make my own decision to make Jesus my Lord. But no one looking around. Is there anyone else? Give you my, one more second. I've gone a little longer. But anybody else? I don't want to miss anybody. God bless you. Amen. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you so much. You can put them down. Now, this morning, what I want to do is I'm going to lead you on a prayer of repentance right where you stand. There's nothing magical about the prayer. Guys, what's supernatural is that God's been tugging at your heart. It didn't start this morning. God's been pulling at you for, for months now, for weeks now. And today, you just respond. You're like, all right, let's do this. And so when I lead you in this prayer, I want you to mean it with all of your heart. In fact, I'm going to get everyone standing around this whole congregation to pray this out loud. And I want those of you that are, that are praying it for the first time, I want you to mean it. Those of you that are coming back to the Lord, be sincere. But let us get our lives right with the Lord today. And may we walk out of this place. No shame. That woman ran out of that building. Let me tell you, she was happy, happy, happy. Because all of her sin had been forgiven. And in that moment, no one else could accuse her. Because the only one who could condemn her did not condemn her. So no one else could either. Let's pray. Say it like this. Say, Jesus, today I surrender my life. I admit I'm a sinner. I did it. I've been doing it. But today I ask for your life to cover my life, for your blood to cover my sin. I ask you now to be the Lord of my life. Forgive me, Jesus. Forgive me, Jesus. And today I accept Jesus as my Lord. Write my name in your book of life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I promise to serve you all the days of my life. Let grace come now in Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed for just a moment. Father, I pray for every man and woman who prayed that prayer maybe for the first time. Maybe coming back to you, but they meant it, Lord. You could sense in their heart they were sincere. And Lord, I thank you that you have now crushed the trap you crush that, that, that trap that always grabs a hold to them, whether it be perversion, whether it be whatever sin it is, just, just living our lives. You crushed it, and they are free from it. And who the Son sets free is free indeed. And so, Lord, I thank you that peace will come to them right now, right now. Peace of God that surpasses all understanding will come upon them now. And when they walk out of this place, they know what, you know what, I may not be perfect, but I'm forgiven. I may not have it all figured out, but I'm not condemned. 
I'm not going to be I'm not going to be stoned. I'm not going to be killed at judgment. I will be embraced by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Lord, thank you for your mercy. We ask you for goodness to follow them all their days in Jesus name.